0: Well, our sermon text today is John 13, verses 34 to 35. For the sake of context, I am uh, going to also read to you the first few the few verses that lead up to that text. Uh, obviously, this is following shortly upon what we just read in our unison scripture reading in John 13, 1 through 11. Uh, so... Now, if you are able, out of respect for God's word, please rise as I read John 13, 31 to 35. This is the inspired word of God. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you speak to us even now. Just pray that you would Uh, Be with us during this time and give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive your word, hearts to love you and love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. People can be rotten, can't they? I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. People sometimes are just absolutely rotten. They can sometimes doubt you when you've given them no reason to do anything but trust you. Sometimes they are not there in your deepest hour of need. Sometimes, in fact, they they treat you as if they don't even know you, or even worse, Sometimes they make themselves out to be an enemy. Because we live in a fallen world, it's often not easy to love other people. Quite simply, they're often not very lovable. Right? They can be mean and hurtful and uncaring and ugly. It could be something really small like they they cut you off in traffic, right? Or it could be something quite large, like a complete betrayal of your trust. Or even if they are acting lovably, there's still that other pesky component to the equation, isn't there? I have to be loving, even though I am selfish, and I am sinful, and I am prideful. It's sometimes inconvenient to love others. It can be hard work. Nevertheless, the instruction of Jesus, the, the words of Jesus, what is required of us, is quite Clear in this passage. As it is throughout Scripture, to be honest with you, uh, our, our default position should be one of love. Loving those who are most dear and special to us, loving those who are in our family and in our church, loving those who are our neighbors, loving even those who are our enemies. Now that's all great. It's fine for us to say this is what's required of us. This is what we are supposed to do. But what do we do with such a commandment when it's given to us and it's just something we cannot do, right? As much as we try, I really want to do this. I just can't get myself to sometimes. So, so what do we do in such a situation? Well, the answer is we look to Jesus, we look to Jesus, specifically in this passage I think we see we look to Jesus, uh, we look to his instruction, we look to his example, and finally we look to his glory. So first we look to the instruction of Jesus, and it's, as I said a moment ago, quite clear what that instruction is. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. R.C. Sproul says, Jesus here identified a sure sign of faith in him and a test of one's salvation, love for the brethren. This is what Francis Schaeffer called the mark of a Christian. And so we need to ask, do you, and do I, as a Christian, love the church? Not just love the church in theory or as an idea, not just love the church as an institution, but do we love the people that comprise the church, the people that make up the body of Christ, even those people that are sometimes a little difficult, those people who maybe don't do things the way we'd like them to do things, those people who aren't quite as thoughtful toward us as we'd like them to to be. Because the Bible's quite clear that, that our, our love in such a situation has, has far less to do with, with how we feel, right? It's, it's not a matter of having warm fuzzies in our heart toward those people that we, we maybe don't feel affection toward, but rather has, has to do more with what we do Right? Because when Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he doesn't say something like, love is happy and exciting, not hurting the heart, but rather bringing joy to it and making you feel all warm inside. That's not how he describes love, is it? No, he describes love quite famously as patient and kind. He says love does not envy or boast that it is not arrogant or rude, that it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things, and such a love never ends." And so, even though Jesus calls this a, a new commandment, there is a sense in which this is what has always been required of the people of God, right? There, there, there is going all the way back to Leviticus, for instance, Leviticus 19.18, right? It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So... When we look to the instruction of Jesus, we see that it is as old as time in one sense. And we need to realize that when we look to the instruction of Jesus, it's not like we are just looking to the instruction of some wise teacher, some, some great moral ethicist, right? Right? or or even a great religious teacher, or even the greatest of religious teachers. He is all of those things, yes, but he is far more than those things as well. So when we look to the instruction of Jesus, we don't just look to what he instructs us, but we look to who he is. Right? And who is that? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is no less than God. Jesus is, says in John 8 58 truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am and if you are like me somebody who was a journalism major you say Jesus your grammar is all wrong right and and and, you know I'll be honest with you sometimes I get a little little testy with bad grammar but that's not what's going on here Jesus is not using bad grammar, right? He understands how to conjugate his verbs. He's very intentionally claiming to be God himself. When he says he is, I am, he's he's using the same language that God used in Exodus 3.14 when he identified himself to Moses. Moses said, who who should I say, say sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Right? And so so we might say, well, wait a second, Pete. Is that maybe a little bit of a stretch that that he's claiming that? Is that what you're you're saying? This can we really believe this? I think, yes, we can. It's not a stretch at all. Because we look at how the people reacted when he said this. He says in verse 58 of John 8, before Abraham was, I am. Then in verse 59, we read, so, as a result of what he had said, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They weren't angry because Jesus used poor grammar, right? They were angry because they thought he was a heretic. And he would have been a heretic had not the things he said been true. He was claiming to be God and he is God. And that's why he uses this language throughout the whole of the book of John, right? John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, 9, I am the door. John 10, 11, and 14, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 15, 1 and 5, I am the vine. Jesus uses this language of I am very intentionally to designate his own divinity, right? And We see it elsewhere in John as well. Philip, In John 14, verse 8, says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, yet you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In John 10, he says it quite clearly. I and the Father are one. John 1, 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we jump to verse 14, it tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John's very clear. Jesus is God, and he speaks with the authority of God. So, yes, we must listen to what he has to say. On this it's not merely one option among any but again we come back to that question we asked before what do we do when we lack the power to obey so as we look to the instruction of Jesus and remember that he is not just God but he is the gospel right Jesus is the gospel we touched on this last week I think right we said that, that Jesus wasn't just a messenger but he actually is the message right? He is the message that is brought. He he is not just bringing a set of rules, but he is bringing a a means of salvation. He is bringing the means of salvation, right? Because, Because we are all sinful and separated from God on account of our sin, but he has borne the righteous penalty of our sin on the cross. He has died for our sin when we should have died, and he has Though he lived a righteous life, he has given us his righteousness. He has made that great exchange, as it were. And we are now able to be children of God, beloved by him, forgiven of our sins in Christ Jesus. He has died for our sins. He is the gospel. But the good news of the gospel doesn't just end there. It's not just that he has died for our sins and we're made right with God. There is a sense in which he He is the king who has gone away and will come again. And so we look forward to that day when the king shall return and set all things to right. He is coming again. All will be made right. And so these two truths, the fact that he has died for our sins on the one hand, and he is coming again to make all things right in the future, work together. The, the motivation of the first and the, the confidence we have on account of the The last are enough to fuel our love for one another. For once we we truly realize, we truly understand how great our sin was and how great his gift of grace is in dying for our sin. We can see how greatly he has loved us even though we didn't deserve it and that will, will fuel our love for one another. It will cause us to love one another because if Jesus can love you in the midst of your sin, And if he, through his spirit, dwells in me, then I can love you in the midst of your sin as well. Not because you deserve it, not because because it's easy, not because I get anything from it, but rather because Christ, who is in me, enables me to do it. And, And furthermore, the fact that he has promised that he will return and he will set all things to right. He will settle all scores. He will make everything good. He will balance all the books, right? That means I don't have to do that. I don't need to hold a grudge against you. You don't need to hold a grudge against me, because Jesus, in the end, will even all the scores. He will make everything right, everything good we don't need to keep score oh you know I I was nice to him that one time but then he he was mean to me so I'm not going to be nice to him anymore because you know no we don't have to do that we can just love freely and so between that motivation and that confidence we have the gospel which is personified in Jesus enables us to love John Bunyan is, is reputed to have said, I don't know that he really actually ever said this. It's attributed to him, uh, but, but, but probably he didn't actually say this, but let's just say he did, just for the sake, because it works out well, right? There's a little ditty that he supposedly put together and went like this. It says, run, John, run, the law commands, but neither gives us feet nor hands. Right, see the idea there he's saying is, is that the law commands us to do things. Right? It says run, go run. You know, but, but it doesn't give us feet or, hand, feet or hands. Right? It doesn't give us the ability to do what it's requiring of us. The law commands us. It says, go love! But it doesn't give me the power to do it. Run, John, run, the law commands but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. You see the idea there that the gospel actually demands far more of us than the law, right? It, it doesn't just say run, it says fly. But at the same time, it gives us the wings by which we can do so. And so it is that the gospel equips us and empowers us and enables us to love others look to the instruction of jesus second look to the example of jesus right look to the example of jesus verse 34 the second half he says just as i have loved you you also are to love one another now many commentators suggest that this is actually the part of the commandment that is a new part right? Before what had been required of us, remember we went back to Leviticus 19 and said you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you know, you know how much you love you? You know how well you love you? Love your neighbor in that same way. Well, Jesus says something similar, but do you catch the difference? He says, just as I have loved you, right? He he doesn't just say that you should love your neighbor. He doesn't just say you should even love them as much as you would love yourself. He says you should love them as I have loved you. Right? Because Jesus loves us far better than we even love ourselves. And so we hear this language of Jesus saying saying that, that you should love your neighbor even as I have loved you. And we we instinctively, I think, rush to the cross, right? That's, that's our example. When you think of the example of how has Jesus loved me, well, we go to the cross and we consider that. And, and indeed, Jesus himself says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And furthermore, in Luke 9, 23, He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, right? You deny yourself, right? Not follow your own instincts, not follow your own flesh, not follow your own sinful heart, but rather take up your cross, right? That instrument of death that you might die. But he's not saying it's a physical death necessarily, because he says we need to take up our cross daily, right? If we're talking physical death, we die once and that's it. He says that this is something we have to do every day. So there is a dying to ourself that must go on, he's saying. Dying to our hearts, dying to our our selfishness, dying to our pride, dying to our our self-centeredness, dying to our selfish motives, dying to all of our natural inclinations that rest within us. We need to die to all of those daily and follow him. We hear this kind of language and we, we rush to the cross when we see that we should love as Jesus loved us. But I want to remind you of something here. When Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says to them, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You know what he hadn't done yet? He hadn't died on the cross yet. And yet he says this in the past tense, just as I have loved you. What could he possibly be talking about? Well, I'd like to suggest that he not only possibly, but quite likely and almost certainly is talking about what had just happened before that. We read it together earlier. That wasn't by accident, by the way. At the beginning of John 13, he has washed their feet. Now, what is meant by this? Well, this is the most menial of tasks. This is the kind of task that that no self-respecting Jewish adult would do for another Jewish adult, right? you, you get some servant to do that, or, or you get somebody of low standing to do that, but certainly not a rabbi, certainly not somebody who is respected like that. And as I thought about that kind of love, that kind of service, that kind of devotion— I thought to my own life, I said, where, where is there something that's like that for me? Or where has there been something like that? And, and I'll be honest with you, because it was the most menial tasks, a, a dirty task, a low-down task, kind of the, the correlation that I came up with is changing poopy diapers, right? You know? Uh, it's just dirty and messy and ooh, I, you know that's not a fun thing to do. And who wants to do that? Nobody right? But, but we do that for our children, right? Unthinkingly, we don't, we don't like, well, you know what, you know, I did my four diapers today, I'm done now, you know, right? Or, or we don't say, you know, you know, well, you know, you just need to stop that, you know, you're, you're, you're eight months old now, I'm done with this, right? You know, I, we, we don't do that. Why? Because we love our children, right? Because we love them, and so we will sacrificially serve them and do unpleasant things for them because we want to care for them. We want to to love them well. And it's interestingly that that, that we see that Jesus in this passage as he's addressing the disciples, and again, it wasn't part of the text per se, but but verse 33 that we read together, how does he address them? He says, little children. He's talking to grown adult children. Jewish men here he calls them little children now I mean that there are sometimes I say that to adults you know you are acting like a bunch of petulant little children right but that's not the way he means it here he means it lovingly kindly caring and compassionately he addresses them more like my dear beloved children Right, that love that he has for them, that he shows. And, and, and I was thinking this, this week, because I just happened to, at the beginning of this week, see a, a, a video of a, of a radio host talking about, talking about children. And uh, he, he was talking about a sign that he saw. I don't know where the context was, how he happened to see it. But, but he saw something about this sign that was in a fifth grade classroom. And he was mocking this sign. He said there was this sign that he saw in this fifth grade classroom, and it, it said, it was a message to the students there, it said, said, the world is better because you are in it. And he was, he was mocking this sign, this is a self-professed Christian, he, he said, because, because it was a ridiculous message. He said, what has any five, fifth grader done to help the world? Well, the message that undergirds his thoughts are very clear, aren't they? Someday, they might grow up and do something worthwhile. Someday, they might be valuable to the world. Someday, they might have some inherent importance. Someday, they might have value, but not now. Not as children. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says... Let the little children come to me. For to such as them belongs the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he says that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a little child. I've often wondered what does he mean by that? What what does it exactly mean that, that we need to become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven and, and and perhaps it has to do with with our our trusting and our our dependence and our our recognition of our own inability but perhaps it has to do with the way we love you know I think of, of a video another video I saw this week that was much more pleasant it was a video of a, a little child he was probably Two years old he was wearing a diaper and a cowboy hat and that's it <laughs> and he was obviously in his yard and a big 18-wheeler pulled into their driveway the door opened and his dad stepped out of the truck and when he saw his dad he ran to his dad he took about four steps running towards his dad. He grabbed his hat and threw it away. Uh, you know, I guess he had some idea of wind resistance that he wanted to get rid of. I don't know. But he threw it away and he sprinted to his father. And when he reached his father, he leapt into his arms and wrapped his arms around him and hugged him and loved him so unreservedly, so Unabashedly, so unashamedly, right? He he wasn't saying, "Oh man, you know, somebody might have the camera on me. I better play it cool," right? No, he didn't care about anything else at that moment. He loved his father, and I wonder if that's not part of how we ought to love. That's certainly how Jesus has loved us. Hebrews two tells us in verse eleven that He is not ashamed to call us brothers, right? He's not ashamed to call us family. He's not ashamed to bring us in, right? Though we have been filled with sin and filled with rebellion and filled with with every ugly and dirty thing, he's not ashamed to bring us in and to love us and to make us his own. So we look to the instruction of Jesus, but we also look to the example of Jesus and and then we look to the glory of Jesus. Jesus remember verses 31 and 32 again not technically part of our sermon text today but they undergird it and give us context for it when he had gone out jesus said now is the son of man glorified and god is glorified in him if god is glorified in him god will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once two things one is son of man is jesus favorite self-designation he's talking about himself second thing. Did you notice the words glorify or glorified are used five times in those two little verses? Clearly, glory is part of the main idea of this passage. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We know that, right? We do that so that we can draw attention to Him and not to ourselves, right? So so when we love one another, especially... When others are unlovely, that's what we do. We, we draw attention to Jesus. We draw, draw people's gaze to Jesus, right? He says, by this, verse 35, all people will think that you're really nice. No. By this, all people will, will be really impressed by how kind you are. No. No, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. you have love for one another if people see us loving well they will see jesus so we look to the glory of jesus we look to the glory of jesus in the sense that we long for it we look to it we long for it. we long for jesus to come and make things right we we long for ourselves to be made right but we also look to it in the sense that we we gaze upon it right if i say look to me now look to me i'm saying gaze upon me but but that's That's not what I'm saying here. We look to the glory of Jesus. Jesus, before he washed the feet, at the start of John 13, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He's almost certainly alluding to Isaiah 53 here. Right? Well, the end of 52, the beginning of 53. In 52.13 he says behold my servant shall act wisely he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. But you remember how Isaiah said that that servant would be exalted? He said that he despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and crucified for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. That is what his glory was all about. It's about the cross. It's in the the cross that he is glorified. He He was lifted up, as it were. He was lifted up on the cross, right? In the same sense that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He's also lifted up in that he is exalted and magnified and made much of on the cross and he will come again in glory one day and when he does 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 tells us what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him and it gives a reason it says because we will see him as he is right and so if seeing him as he truly is is what changes us, that's just all the more reason that we should look to the word of God now, right? Because in the word of God, that's where we see him. And We see that we love because he first loved us. Do you know his love? Do you know his love today? If so, are there those in the body of Christ toward whom you harbor bitterness? that you are angry at, that you are tempted to feel unloving toward? If so, look to Jesus. Look toward his love for you. Forgive in your heart and seek reconciliation where relationships have been fractured. If you don't know the love of Jesus, then I I plead with you today, turn to him. Come to see the love of God that is available to you in Christ Jesus. The forgiveness for your sins. Trust in him. Set aside your own ability. Give up the idea that you can save yourself or make yourself right with God or or that you're already right because you're not. But turn to Jesus and be right in him. No forgiveness. There's no wrong that you have committed that is too great for his love. For he has given himself for us. He's given his very body and blood. He has given his very life. He's given us this table. And he's given us this table here. And when we come to it, we, we proclaim the death of Christ Jesus. This death which he tasted for all of us so that we would not need to taste it. And instead, we can come to this table and taste and see that the Lord is good. If you don't trust in Jesus, I would urge you to refrain from coming to the table because what we are proclaiming when we partake of the table is that he has indeed died for our sins and that we have forgiveness in him. That we trust in him and we are willing to take up our cross and die to ourselves and follow him daily in his love. But if you do trust in Jesus, even with a faith that is weak and faltering that is unstable, that is teetering, that feels like you may lose grasp of it at any moment, certainly come to the table that your faith might be strengthened, that you might be encouraged and that you might better know the love Jesus so for those of us who are going to come to the table it's our practice here that we proclaim our common faith together we do so in the words of the Apostles Creed which is printed in your bulletin it's printed there it's an ancient creed an ancient statement of faith that the people of God for centuries upon centuries have shared in people around the world today are proclaiming these same truths and we gather together with them in sharing this common faith so i ask you today christian what do you believe i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only begotten son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of god the father almighty from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, our God, our Savior, we thank you for your great love, shown to us especially in the cross. and Today we proclaim your death, your death which is an atoning death, a perfecting death, a saving death, a sacrificial death, a death that is a glorious death. We pray that you would help us to trust in you more, nourish our faith, strengthen our faith, and cause us to lean into you all the more, to Realize that you have loved us to the end, and because of that love, we too can love one another. We pray that you would help us to do so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders, would you come forward as we serve? The Lord Jesus, he who is love incarnate, is with us always, but in a very special and unique and mysterious way, he is with us even beyond that normal way as we partake of this bread in faith. For if we partake in faith, he says to us, that this is my body, which is for you take and eat. The Word of God tells us that after the Lord Jesus served the Lord's Supper on that first Maundy Thursday, that the disciples went out and sang a hymn. It's fitting for us to do the same. Specifically, you'll note that in our bulletins is printed, the hymn they'll know we are Christians by our love. May that be true of us, and may we sing that together now. Please rise. As we go from this place today, let us do so in love and let us do so loving others in the name of Christ Jesus. And as we go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.